Okay, if you have your Bibles with you, you may get them open to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Um, before we really start reading the, um, what we're gonna read tonight, we're gonna do a little bit of background. But um, 1 Peter, 1 and 2 Peter, they're letters written to the church by Peter. Go figure. Okay, and Peter wrote these letters at the end of, towards the end of his life, possibly when he was in Rome. They don't know that for sure, but, um, but uh, he wrote these as instructions for how the church should live, how we should operate, and, and, um, and just giving us, giving us instruction. Um, he writes this at an interesting time because Nero is is in charge of Rome. So it's very dark and ugly time. Um, Nero's burning Christians at the stakes. It's ugly. And he is saying, man, I don't know how much longer I'm gonna be here, but I gotta teach the church how to live and how to walk in the calling God has prepared for them. Um, and so, so I kind of wanna, we're gonna go through that, but let's back ourselves way up, or way back, not up. We, we go backwards. Let's back up quite a bit and, and see how Peter became the man he did and why he had such a desire to write these letters to the church. Okay, now Peter knew Jesus. He probably grew up being taught about this coming Messiah. And we know that, that Jesus called Peter. He, he calls him three times. We're gonna actually look at three different times in Peter's life that Jesus calls him or, or appears to him to, to make Peter the man that he, he is going to become. All right, now Peter was called, this is just kind of some history, so it's not necessarily theological. We don't have to argue about it or anything, but I found it kind of interesting. But when Jesus called his disciples, he was 30 years old, right? When Jesus went into full-time ministry. Now, if you look at Jewish culture, that's, a, that's the time a man would actually go and become a rabbi or a teacher is at age, thir at age 30. Now his students, have you guys ever seen a picture of um, like a painting of uh, the Last Supper, you know, where, where Jesus is sitting there and, and all his disciples are around, and they all look similar in age, don't they? Well, that actually is probably an inaccurate representation. See, decide, the disciples were probably a lot younger than that. In Jewish culture, um, students could, could study under a rabbi or a teacher at about the age of 13. And they, they um, followed after their, their father's uh, occupation between 13 and 15 years old. By about 18, we see them starting to get married, okay? And so if, if you, if you kind of look at the way scripture is with Peter, I do believe, and I, um, a lot of scholars have said, Peter was probably the oldest disciple, if not one of the older ones. And the reason we would know that is because, you guys remember the healing of his mother-in-law. Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So we know he's married. Um, there's also that story where, um, where they're going, Jesus taking uh, Peter and the disciples into the temple, and there's a temple tax. And, um, and uh, they don't have the money for it. So Jesus says, go down and get the money from the fish, right? Total miracle. But there's enough in that coin for two people, for Jesus and for Peter. You only had to pay a temple tax if you were 20 years old or older. The, that tells us that the other disciples were younger. And my point in saying this is that they were taught from a very young age by Jesus, called by a very young age from Jesus to do what they needed to do, okay? So it's just kind of some interesting, interesting thoughts there. But anyway, so Jesus had a very interesting way 
of grabbing Peter's focus, of captivating Peter. Okay, the first, the first time we see this interaction take place is when Jesus actually called Peter. He called him three times. He said, hey, Peter, come and follow me. First time. Second time, again, it's, it's when Jesus is like on the seashore and Peter is, is in, in the boat and he's fishing and stuff. And she's like, hey, Peter, come on, come follow me. And he's like, all right, thumbs up, Jesus. We're doing this, right? We're doing it. But the third time, something very interesting happens. The third time the disciples are out and, and uh, they've been fishing all night. It's their livelihood. They're trying to get some fish and they've caught nothing. And they come back in. And it's the morning and Jesus is teaching his disciples. And, um, and once Jesus is done, he's, he's teaching the people. And once Jesus is done teaching the disciples, he tell, or the people, he tells the disciples, go back out into the deep water. Go back out, cast your nets again. And Peter's response is, but, but teacher, we've been out all night. We're tired. We're tired. But if you say to do it, we'll do it again. We'll go back out. And that's a word in itself for us tonight. Some of you are just tired. You've been there. You've been petitioning. You've been asking. And Jesus is saying, go back out one more time. Get back out to the deep. Go back out to where it's deep. Lower those nets. And what happens? The nets are full of fish and they're pulling them in and the nets are breaking, the boats are sinking and they're calling for reinforcements. They're like, guys, come help, we're sinking, right? And, and I just have this picture of Peter and he stops among the chaos and he just gazes into the eyes of Jesus and something clicked with him and he's like, he's Messiah, that's Messiah right there. He's rabbi and he's my teacher, but he's my Messiah. And once they got those boats back to shore, it says that's when Peter left everything. They left everything and they followed Jesus. Jesus said, now I'm gonna make you fishers of men. Okay, now we're gonna fast forward three years. Jesus has endured the cross and he's conquered the grave and he's walking amongst the people. And it says that he appeared to his disciples three times. The first two times they didn't really recognize him until he really revealed himself. But the third time is a similar situation to what we just saw, okay? The disciples are out all night, no fish. There's a man on the seashore. He's like, hey guys, how's the fishing going? I didn't catch anything, didn't catch a thing. And he's like, hey, why don't you try the right side of the boat? That's a great idea. We, you know, we've been fishing. We're gonna just put the net in on the other side, right? But in this moment, I think Peter, Peter knew something familiar. He knew presence. He knew instruction. He knew a voice. He knew, wait a second, we're gonna try a different side of the boat. And I can almost see Peter say, hey, boys, do what the guy said, try this side. But his eyes are watching Jesus. His eyes are on the seashore. And he's like, let's see what you're gonna do, Jesus. And they drop those nets and all the fish come, right? And they pull them up, except this time the nets don't break and the, the boats aren't sinking. And what, is, what does Peter do? He grabs his outer coat and he puts it on and he gets in the water. He's like, that's awesome catch, but I gotta go be with my Messiah. I gotta go be with my Jesus. There he is right there, I know him. I know his presence. I know him. Ladies, when we, we have time to be in his presence, when we know what he's like, then it doesn't matter what else is going on. As soon as he calls, we recognize that voice. We recognize presence. 
And so he, he, they get on the seashore and he, um, they have breakfast together. And then, and then the last thing I wanna point out real quickly is this conversation he and Peter go, they go for a little walk. And Jesus asks Peter, he's like, hey, do you love me? And Peter's like, yeah, I do. And Jesus is like, then feed my lambs. Okay, well, we can do that. Again, Jesus says, do you love me, Peter? And he's like, yeah, I do. He's like, then, then teach my sheep. Okay, and again, the call goes out, Peter, do you love me? And he's, he's kind of frustrated, but he's like, yes, Lord, I do. He says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. What, what's Jesus doing? What's he instilling on him? Peter has a pretty incredible purpose and calling in his life that he's gotta live up to. Okay, if you look at Matthew 16, 19, it says, um, this is when Jesus changes his name. He says, you, Peter, which means rock, Upon this rock, I will build my church. That's a pretty heavy load. Peter, what's coming to you down the road is you are going to build my church. And let me tell you what's not going to happen. All the powers of hell will not conquer it or will not prevail. Ladies, that was a word that was given 2,019 years ago or whatever, but that is relevant for today. These are the words of Jesus Christ. The powers of hell will not prevail against the church. We have absolutely nothing to be afraid of in this world. The powers of hell will never, ever defeat you. They might try, they might come up against you, but you have a promise that they will never, ever conquer the church. And then he says, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You've got the keys. We are overcomers. We are overcomers because Jesus overcame. We know how to find peace. We know how to find righteousness. We know how to find joy. We live differently than the world does. And then I love what what happens after, after Peter and Jesus have this conversation. They're kind of walking. And this shows that maybe some of these disciples were a little immature Peter kind of looks behind him and he's like, well, there's, there's one following us. What about him? And it was John. John's kind of following him like, hey guys, what are we talking about? And, uh, and Jesus says, what does it matter what I do with him? What if I keep him alive until I return? That's not to be your focus. He said, Peter, follow me, follow me. I need you to stay focused and engaged on what I've called you to do. Because he also went on to tell him of the kind of death he was gonna endure. He had to say, Peter, you stay focused on your mission. Lady, there, there, is, identi- there is purpose and there is a mission on every single one of you women in this room. Every single one of them, every single one of you. You cannot, you, we don't have time to think about what the other one is doing. We can pray and intercede and support each other, but we gotta stay true to our lane. We gotta stay true to our purpose. We gotta stay true to our, our, um, our calling. It is important that we do that. And that's what Jesus was telling Peter in that moment. Follow me, stay focused on what I've called you to do. So you fast forward 30 years and Peter's in hell basically, right? I mean, like Rome is in an uproar. It's crazy, it's ugly. It's gotta be the darkest of dark. And he says, I've gotta gotta finish what I've begun. The church is being built and I gotta give instruction on how to live. 
And so we're gonna go through some of these. We're gonna go through them really quickly. We're gonna dissect each verse. This is a really different way I've ever taught before um, because it's a cluster of verses that each have its own standalone meaning. But I feel like we're gonna go after it. And what I want you to do is as you follow along, if you have your Bible, please please make notes in it or um, if you have your phone or whatever, because whatever the Lord is highlighting, I want you to take it home and I want you to study it out. I want you to just go after it. One thing that, that's very passionate to me, and you're gonna learn this about me, is um, I have a real hunger and passion for the word of God. The word of God is life. It is absolutely living and breathing and it, it's key for this day and age. It's, key for every believer. And in the moments that it is so beautiful are when you are alone with the Lord and you're just in his word and he's just revolutionizing every single thing you think, right? It's just, you're just digging in, you're getting hungry um, for the word. And so, so that's what I wanna encourage you, encourage you to do is don't just come here, don't just come on Sundays and get a word. Come and get a word, but then go home and dissect it. Okay, so this is a call to the elders. We're gonna start with the elders. Now remember, we're, we're setting a foundation for this group. So you decide who you are, elders. Um, we love you, right? Here we go. We're gonna start in verse two. It says, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Older women, I want to encourage you right now, this is your call to be fully engaged. We need you more than anything. The younger generation needs you more than anything. You have calling, you have purpose, you have destiny. You are still breathing air. You are not done yet. We need you engaged in the church. We need you engaged in ministry. We need you engaged in mentoring. This is absolutely a call. Kurt and Emily, Pastor Kurt and Emily, have this is strong on their heart too. And so I thought this was amazing that the Lord showed me this. And not because it's a duty for you to do it. it said because you are willing. This is a submissive thing. I'm willing to be there. I'm willing to be there. Okay, listen to verse five. It says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves. That word submit right there, that has, it has two voices, if you will. There's an authoritative voice that comes with it and also a passive voice. Okay, the authoritative voice is really what God is, is kind of this idea that, that there is coming a day when Jesus returns that every tongue will bow and every knee will confess. Okay, that's an authoritative, you are submitting now. The, the era and the time of grace is now up and I am here to rule and reign, okay? But that's not what this is saying. This is saying, it's again, a willingness. It's I'm submitting because, um, because there is order, because God has, through Peter, put in an order for the church. You come and you submit and you learn, okay? Now listen to this. It says, um, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Now we gotta think about this. You gotta slow this down a little bit, okay? This is clothe yourself with, humil with humility, okay? Humility is a healthy understanding of who you are. It doesn't mean that if you're younger, you just don't know as much as the older people or the older generation. And so you're just like, oh, just 
do whatever you tell me to do. It's, man, I have a gift to bring, but I'm coming in humility underneath you to submit what I have for you. Okay, same with the older generation. It's I'm coming, understanding who I am, but I, still, I can still learn from you. Sometimes the older generation just needs encouragement from the younger generation. It's like, wow, I need that that. Uh, that bubble of joy or, you know, whatever it is, okay? But listen to this. There is a promise now coming when we stay in that order. God opposes the proud, but what does he do to the humble? He shows favor. I don't know about you, but I want the favor of God. I want the favor of God to reside over this ministry. We have, when we follow God's perfect order, we actually attract the favor of God. We attract the blessing of God. He will not deny us. He won't deny it when we are in his perfect order. Okay, do you see that? So what does that mean to humble? That means also we have to show up. You don't humble yourself to somebody else by staying at home, right? You have to show up. We have to show up for each other. You have to show up on weekends and give where you can. You humble yourself. We show up. Verse six, let's keep going. Humble yourselves, therefore, we're gonna see that word again. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. We just talked about humbling means to show up. You gotta show up with the Lord every single day, numerous times a day. Humble yourself. Doesn't mean, God, I stink today. Oh man, I stink It means I know who I am. I know my identity in Christ. I know I'm a child of God. My mom and dad would never reject me. If some of you have had experienced that, that is not God the Father. He he sacrificed his son and ripped a veil in half so that you could approach him. You can come into the throne room anytime you want to. You can just love on him. You can let him love on you. You can petition him. But the point is you humble yourself and you say, Lord God, I'm coming before you again. Daddy, I'm coming before you again. You show up. You show up. Okay, and this is, I love this part. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. This word due time, these two words together means kairos. Okay, it's a Greek word that means kairos. In the Greek language, there are two words for time. There's kairos and there's chronos. Okay, chronos means um, seconds, minutes, hours. It's, it's actual time. It's the sun rises, the sun sets. Um, it, it's a beginning and an end, okay? We are trapped, if you will, in chronos time. The earth operates under chronos time. Now look at this. When you humble yourself under God's mighty hand, he he in, in his kingdom, and in, in he operates outside of time. He has these kairos moments, these kairos plans and, and thoughts towards you that at just the right moment, he takes that kairos moment and he infuses it into chronos time. And the reason he does it is to actually change the course of history. It's to change, oh man, I was headed down destruction, but now God says, no, no, no. Now you're headed in a totally different way where life is gonna come upon you. Healing's gonna come upon you. Provision, breakthrough, all those things come about upon you because that chronos, that chronos word from the Lord, that chronos thought, that chronos moment is released into, or that kairos is released into Kronos. 
Do you see that? This is why we come to the Lord constantly. We humble ourselves constantly because he says, oh girl, you hang in there. Your Kairos moment is right around the corner, is right around the corner. That is exciting news. That is amazing. That is how our God operates. He infuses his will into our life. My mama's sitting right here on the front row. At 21 years old, she said yes to Jesus. She knew something was wrong in her life. She knew something was void. And in a little trailer, she went and she sought out a person that would lead her to Jesus. And in that moment, she, she um, you know, accepted Jesus and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. That was a Kronos moment for her, right? She was going down a road towards hell. But what, what else happened is this Kairos moment when it was released, it actually changed her entire family lineage. You see that? Me and my two brothers, we, are, we love the Lord. Our grandchildren, or her grandchildren, I don't have grandchildren, love the Lord. Okay, it's the same way. Salvation is a Kairos moment. You stay humble before the Lord. And he may say, hey, go into King Supers today. Do you see that woman in the wheelchair? Lay your hands on her. She's gonna have a Kairos moment. He's going to operate Kairos moments through your very life. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before his mighty, before, um, under his mighty hand. Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, verse seven, we're gonna keep going. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is awesome. Cast all your anxiety. That word cast means to um, uh, throw something forcefully in a specific direction. That's what that means. And so I want everyone to do something. We're gonna do a prophetic act. How many of you came in here where maybe you have a fear, you have an anxiety, or you have a worry, or you have a stress? Anybody in here come in with that tonight? Don't be ashamed if you did, right? This is what this verse is saying. It's saying to actually take it off. I want you to peel it off. Peel it off of your shoulders, wherever you feel it. Pull it off of your mind if you are consumed with it. Get rid of it. And you just like pack it into the snowball, pack it into a ball. And then I want you, like Peter did, I want you to focus on Jesus. You find Jesus and you look at him and you just take it and you throw it. That's what casting your cares on him means. It means you, are nev- you were never created to carry it. We are created to bear each other's burdens. We are created to intercede for each other, but we were never created to carry it. You are to pull it off you if you have to and throw it at Jesus. He wants it. He wants it and he can handle it. Okay? It's a good word for someone in here. All right, verse eight. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. I don't like to talk about the enemy, but I'm gonna talk about him for a minute because I'm gonna expose him to a few of you that, that maybe aren't real familiar with his tactics. That w- the roaring lion, he's not a powerful lion. It does not say he is an all-consuming lion. It says he's a roaring lion. Roaring comes from the mouth. If you look at those two words, enemy, a lot of translations say um, uh, adversary and devil. If you look at the meanings of both of those, it means accuser, it means false accuser, and it means slander. You guys, Peter wrote this book to the church. The devil comes after the world differently than he comes after the church because he is powerless against the church. 
so that his tactic is to lie to you. His tactic is to roar at you. His tactic is to say, oh, well, what did you do 20 years ago? You really think you can do that now? Because look, look what you did then. His, his tactic is to lie to you, to make you feel powerless. You, he cannot have any power over you unless, if, unless you agree with him. The only way he has power is if you agree with him. He is a liar and he needs to be exposed. He needs to be exposed to the church because too many of us go into hiding because we listen to the wrong voice. If you, um, if you look in Isaiah, you don't have to flip over there. This is one of my favorite verses. Isaiah 14, 16. This is speaking of the devil. It says, everyone there will stare at you and ask, can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? This is a mockery of the devil. When he is exposed for who he truly is, we will be like, that's it? We were afraid of that? He is nothing. He is nothing. He is a liar in your head. Some of you won't actually step into your calling because you're afraid of what the future holds or what the past has. And that is a voice of a liar that is saying that to you. You have power to silence him. How do you do it? Well, let's see. Aren't you thankful that we have instruction on how to do it? We're gonna continue reading. Uh, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. Resist him. You stand in the faith. You go back to your roots. You, you know who you are. You stand in that identity that Jesus gave you. I'm a child of God. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. Hmm. Verse 10, in the grace of God, oh, sorry, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. There is only one who is powerful. There's only one who is all powerful and that is, that is the Lord, that is the Lord God. He himself in due time, as you come together, you humble yourself before each other and also before God. If you feel weary and weak, if you feel afraid, if you feel tired, in due time, in that Kairos moment, he will restore you. He will make you firm and strong and steadfast. I love that word steadfast, especially for women, right? We use the, that's that time of the month again, all over the place. Steadfast is even keeled. It's keeping our focus on Jesus. Saying, man, there's a storm coming, but it's not going to hurt me. I'll walk with Jesus through the storm. I'll keep my eyes focused on him through the storm. 